Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I am Mark Unger, the pastor here at Celebration Church. So glad that you uh, have decided to come out to our Bible study on Wednesday nights. We love doing Wednesday nights. So we take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse, keeping it in context, doing just a real close look of the scriptures, what they mean, what this is all about. Um, and uh, we encourage you to bring your Bibles on Wednesday nights so you can follow along. Um, we are at chapter 26 in the book of Acts. By the way, this is not the only shirt I own. Uh, you'll remember this from last week. It's because I recorded these two back to back. Those of you in point and who watch on the internet, doesn't really matter. You're used to seeing me on TV all the time, but for those who come here, uh, you're used to seeing me live. Last week, I was in Philadelphia this week. I'm doing flight training, uh, getting ready for our uh, fall seminars that we do. I want to make sure I know how to fly the plane because I have this aversion aversion to plummeting to my death from 28,000 feet. Anyway, so that's what I'm doing right now. But uh, the Word of God is the Word of God, and it works on video, works on paper, works no matter how you share it audibly. Uh, you don't have to physically be here to proclaim the gospel and to teach the Word. So, anyway, we are at chapter 26 in the book of Acts. Now, as, as you noticed last week, we went, we knocked off like three chapters dig, 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 right away because at this point in the book of Acts, and we're almost done, and we might actually get done tonight, we'll see. But uh, uh, you'll have to forgive me a little bit because there's, there's a lot of reading now. There's not a lot of doctrine. There's not a lot of deep spiritual truths that you can kind of examine as we have done all the way through the book of Acts, understanding what our spiritual heritage is, why things are the way they are today, how did all this happen, uh, how did Christianity get started, whatever happened to the Jews, you know, all this kind of stuff, um, you know, the Holy Spirit, all these different things that were intro- was introduced uh, in, in the book of Acts. Well, now at this point in the book of Acts, uh, it's really in a historical mode. Uh, Luke is writing here, and he's just now just taking off, tick, 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 what happened, I think really just trying to show how Paul wound up in Rome, and that's where the book of Acts ends, as as you will see. So um, it's all right. Uh, We're committed to going through verse by verse, but with some of this now, we're just going to be doing a lot of reading together, and I'll point out anything that I think is is of of, uh, deeper interest, but... um, you know, at this point, we're just, we're just going to read through it because um, we're committed to doing that, particularly in the in the New Testament. When we do some books in the Old Testament, and I'm contemplating perhaps doing a book in the Old Testament for our next book. I haven't really decided yet, but if not next time, then definitely coming up, we're going to be doing that. Uh, we probably will, well, not probably, I can guarantee you, we're not going to go verse by verse through the Old Testament. We'll never get out of here. You'll, we'll all be old people by the time we get out. Uh, we're not going to go through Leviticus verse by verse or, or whatever. There's a lot of detail. What I'd like to do when we get to the Old Testament is jump through and get some of the key elements, some of the key events, some of the key stories that are so uh, important as they reflect on us yet today. Anyway, we're committed to the New Testament verse by verse, and here we go. Now, where we're at, Paul is uh, before King Agrippa. You'll remember he came to Jerusalem to worship, um, was minding his own business, trying to make the Jews happy. When they went psycho, they started a big riot. The centurion, Roman centurion, runs in, saves him, 
Actually, he was going to beat him up till he found out he was a Roman citizen and then starts to protect him. Uh, and then he goes, uh, he, he hurries him off to Felix because uh, he heard there was a plot to try and kill Paul. And then Felix dinks around for two years and does nothing and gives him to Festus and say, here, you deal with them. And then Festus was going to try and uh, uh, turn him over to the Jews and he appeals to Caesar, Paul appeals to Caesar, King Agrippa comes along, and Agrippa says, well, let me, I want to hear what's going on, and uh, Festus says, great, because I need more details, because I don't even know what this is all about, and, uh, and then they get ready to send him off to Rome. So here is Paul now, in front of King Agrippa, explaining what this is all about. A lot of this... We've gone over because he's just going to share his testimony again. It's interesting. Every time he shares it, we hear a few other phrases and stuff that we didn't hear in the, in the, uh, the first time we read about it. Okay. So anyway, here we go. Then King Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today <laughs> Here comes the butt kissing again. Before you today, as I make my defense against all the ac- accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So there he goes. Then he says, the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that according to the strictest sect of our religion, uh, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God promised our fathers, talking about the hope of the Messiah, it is because of this hope that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night, O King. It is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that, uh, that I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, he persecuted; he was the first one persecuting the ch- Christian church, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. By the way, saints is a, an interchangeable term for Christians. Um, when you read in the Bible talking about saints, it's the same as Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. It wasn't until hundreds of years later they decided to put in this super holy system in and that you get elevated to sainthood or something. All that was made up by guys much later on. The Bible never talks about such things. Um, A saint is a person who's a believer. So he said, I put many of the saints, believers, in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In other words, I boldly proclaimed I was the one approving of their death. Uh, Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I tried to force it. You know, we, we never read that before. But he was, uh, how do you try and force people to blaspheme? You make them miserable. You might, maybe he was torturing them. I don't know. He was not a nice man. Paul was a, he was a mean persecutor. He's the first one to kill anybody who claimed the name of Christ. Stephen, the first martyr. Uh, 
This was Paul. His name was Saul at the time. Made people's lives hell. Fought against the church. Tried to get people to blaspheme. uh, Persecuted them. the, The husbands, the wives, the children. He was just a mess. Okay. In my obsession, he admits, against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. He'd run out of people to persecute. So he'd go to other places to find more to persecute. Well, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground again. When we read it, uh, I don't know, maybe it didn't say they all fell to the ground. But he was the only one who heard the voice. That's right. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, uh, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, we've never heard that phrase. More detail as he tells the story. Uh, He's not making it up. It's just that we don't always hear everything the first time it was recorded. Uh, This idea of kicking against the goads, it's it's, it's hard for like an animal who's being prodded or, or someone wearing spurs on a horse or something. It's hard to kick against those things, is what Jesus said to him. Uh, he says, well, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have a, appeared uh, to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what will I, what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Again, much more detail than the, the first couple times we read his story. Anyway, so then King Agrippa, Paul says this. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Boy, and I'll tell you right there, you can preach a sermon. And I have heard sermons just off of that one verse. Oh, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. In the King James it says. Man, can we say that at the end of our lives? Did we do what God has called us to do? Have we followed the Lord on our final days as we stand can we be able to look back on our lives and say I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision to what God has done in my life what he's called me to do wow pretty heavy stuff and Paul was able to say that he says first to those in Damascus uh, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the Gentiles also I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds (laughs) there's something you don't hear a whole lot today Man, first of all, you don't hear a whole lot about repentance. We So much in Christianity, we just like to talk about the love of God and how much God loves us all. And if we just ask for forgiveness, that's all there is to it. Well, it's certainly the starting point, but it's not all there is to it. You need to repent. You need to turn away from what you've done. And Paul and the apostles, they taught this. Not only do you need to believe and repent, but then you need to prove that you've repented. You need to go out there and live this. When you start really living this and we really see it done in your life, that's when they knew people were saved. Today we say people are saved just if they just pray a prayer. Uh, uh, In our case, uh, you know, we don't have a big event where we have people come forward and off to rooms in the back and stuff. We just preach the gospel, pray with people and say, look, if you've taken the first step, go to the back and get that book and, and start. Why are we doing that? It's the first steps of proving that, that they mean something, you know, not orchestrating them, but just, man, if you mean, if you believe this, go for it. Uh, you know, they didn't do altar calls in the Bible. 
You know, it's not. I know of people who criticize churches like ours because we don't have these organized altar calls where everybody stands up. Okay, now if you raise your hand, now stand up right where you are. Great, now take another step, come down here forward. Now follow these people off to the back. You know, and these people are being herded around like cattle and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, and say, well, now, now they've really gotten saved. We don't do that because the Bible didn't do things like that. The way they preached the gospel, they would just preach it and leave it. And then the people would say, wow, man, how do I get in on this? What must I do to be saved? How do I, what can I do to get, you know. So we try to approach things more like that. We will pray with people on a Sunday morning. That that first basic step, looking to God, asking him to come into your life. But we're not giving them delusions just because of that. They're guaranteed to go to heaven. Uh, Do they really mean it? Is this real? If you meant that first step, go back there. Talk to somebody. Take a step on your own. We don't need to corral them. Let them step out on their own. Uh, For a lot of people, the first time they ever pray that prayer, boom. Some of you have done that. And the first time you prayed it, man, instantly you met Christ and he changed your life. Some people, they pray that prayer and then they go back there and talk to somebody in the back. And then they pray with them. And that's when they got saved. Some people, like they take the book home and weeks later, they all of a sudden, boom, it becomes real to them. There's other people, they've been coming to church for months, sitting in the, same, in the services and, and, and hearing this over and over again. And then at some point, it hits them and it dawns on them, wow, yes, I get this. And then they start living it out. They start acting it out. Uh, so, you know, when exactly people get saved is between them and God. We're going to preach the gospel, show them the way, encourage them, do everything we can to get them to a place of faith. But they need to act. They need to have this experience with God where they know that they know God has heard them pray and God has spoken into their lives. And they turn away from their sins and now they start to prove this in their lives by the way they live their new life. That's when you really know somebody is a believer. Now you don't have to dump all that on somebody the first time you witness the gospel to them. You know, there's only so much you can handle at any given point. But this is very much the message that we hear in the book of Acts. Believe, repent, prove you've repented. Live the life. Are you living this thing? That's where salvation uh, really becomes evident in their lives. Okay, so, um, verse 21. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me, because I've been preaching this gospel. Uh, in reality, as we've seen in detail... Why they really seized them is because they were going to the Gentiles and telling the Gentiles they could do this without obeying the Old Testament laws and becoming Jews. That's what really ticked them, but he kind of boils it all into just the one message. But he says, but I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and as first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people, and to the Gentiles. All right, now, when he got to the idea of the resurrection from the dead, unlike the Jews who did not react to that, they just reacted to the Gentile part of it, when he started saying this, raising from the dead to King Agrippa, then he goes, whoa, wait a minute, this is heavy stuff. Uh, And at this point, Festus interrupts Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, he says. You are nuts. The minute he starts saying to raise from the dead, he goes, oh man, you have lost it, boy. He says, your great learning has driven you insane. The King James says something like, your, your learning has made you mad. I, uh, I quote that verse to my brother all the time, Eddie. Your learning has made you mad. He's a pretty smart guy, but he's nuts too. Anyway, um, 
So Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Well, the king is, he says, the king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, again, kissing up, but it was because it was not done in a corner. And I love that phrase. This thing, Jesus living his life, proclaiming the gospel, crucified, being raised from the dead, all of this stuff, preaching the gospel, was not done in a corner. The world was becoming aware of this stuff because they went everywhere and preached it. Oh, man. Would that our world, our city of Green Bay, this whole area, should know all these things because we talk openly of them and we proclaim them and we share them. Not shoving it down people's throat, telling them they're going to go to hell any second, but just sharing the gospel of Christ, the good news, so that this stuff isn't done in a corner. Uh, Anyway, King Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. All right. Uh, And uh, again, the reason why... uh, Let's see if I got this straight here. Um, ah, we don't know. Apparently, Paul really knew uh, Agrippa fairly well. And, uh, and, and he turns to him and he says, you, you know that you believe this stuff. And then Agrippa says to Paul, he says, wait a minute. Do you think I'm in, in such a short a time you can persuade me to be a Christian? There's the word phrase, a Christian again, which we uh, obviously know that's how we're referred to today. In the early years, they didn't quite know how to come up with the phrase to describe these people. He says, do you think it's such a little time you can persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for the chains, except for me being in prison. I pray to God you all get this stuff, just like me. I mean, Paul is just preaching. This is, this is cool stuff. Uh, well, then the king arose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him, uh, with them. They left the room and while talking with one another they said this man is not doing anything that deserves death or an imprisonment. And then Agrippa says to Festus this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, yeah I'm sure but remember Festus was going to try and send him to Jerusalem where there was a plot to try and kill Paul. He had no other choice but to appeal to Caesar. So now he's saying, well, we can let this guy go, but now we can because he appealed to Caesar. All right, so here we go. They're sending him off to, to Rome. Verse, uh, chapter 27. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, again, this is first person Luke writing. He was going with Paul on this trip. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramithum, or whatever, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Uh, our Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so he might provide for his needs. He was kind of like under house arrest, you know, kind of like we do today, putting ankle bracelets on people and stuff. I mean, Paul was not a high security guy at this point. Uh, They were allowing him some freedoms. Uh, They didn't have ankle bracelets back then, but they had guards that they would send along with them to make sure that he'd uh, report back and stuff. But he was cutting him some slack. It says, from there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Now we start, again, whenever you notice him talking in the first person, that he was part of this, he gets very detailed. And he's going about to get really detailed as we read through 
this journey that they take. So hang in there with me. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Cilicia. Uh, yeah, in, in Lycia, sorry. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us aboard that ship. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off uh, Snidius. Then the wind did not allow us to hold our course. Or when the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. Talking about uh, the Day of Atonement uh, on the Jewish calendar, showing them where it was at in the time of year. It was getting to the time of year on the calendar where you get like storms, big kind of like hurricane season for us, you know. So Paul warned them, he says, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. So Paul, this very brilliant and intelligent man, warns them, Guys, we really shouldn't keep going. This is a dangerous time of year to be sailing. Uh, keep that in mind, because later he tells them, I told you so. But, uh, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot, uh, the guy who was uh, piloting the ship, and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Phoenix is a good place to winter. Not Phoenix, Arizona, but anyway. Uh, this was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So we weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane forced called the Northeaster. A Northeaster came sweeping down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. They quit trying to sail, quit trying to tack, quit trying to harness the wind. It got so bad, they just let up and just let the wind blow them wherever it wanted to go. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. The idea of the, the sea anchor uh, was just to create drag. So they're trying to slow down the ship. They, uh, of course, they're wooden ships. It's gotten so bad, they, they're taking ropes and running it underneath the ship, trying to tie the things together, trying to hold the ship together. I mean, these guys were in great peril. This is, this is a very dangerous uh, trip that they're on. And it's fascinating to read this, the detail of this sailing ship uh, trip that they took because uh, obviously Luke was right there uh, on the whole deal. Um, so they, they put the sea anchor in trying to slow everything down. He says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. It was, it was doomed. They didn't think they could survive this. They'd done everything they could. Finally, they're throwing everything overboard. They're literally tying the ship together. Uh, 
no sun or stars, nothing but heavy clouds during this uh, hurricane. And uh, they finally just figured we're all going to die. Well, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men? (laughs) I love Paul. Men? You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. In other words, I told you so. Lovely, lovely thing to hear from Paul at this point, I'm sure. But anyway, he goes on, he says, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. How does he know this? He goes on to say, Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. See, God, the Lord is sending him to Rome. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Well, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. This was one serious hurricane that was pounding these guys. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. They could see it was getting shallower and shallower. They're freaking out. They dropped all the anchors. Four of them now are dragging along the ground. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, uh, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Well, Paul knew what they were up to. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, uh, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Uh, How he knew that, I don't know, but he did. So the soldiers by this time finally start listening to Paul. And so they cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and just let it fall away. They were trying to escape, just the few of them that they could, uh, knowing that the ship... I mean, these guys knew. They were doomed. As far as they knew... Paul was a little nuts in the head. All they knew was they were all going to die. And in a desperate attempt, these last guys tried to hop on this one little lifeboat. Paul said, you do, you're all going to die. And, you know, for all they knew, they were going to die on the lifeboat anyway. So they cut it away. Well, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food and haven't eaten anything. 14 days with nothing to eat. You know, I have a hard time going 14 hours, sometimes 14 minutes without something to eat, as you can well tell. But these guys, 14 days, hadn't eaten anything. Why would you go so long? Well, because when the ship is ready to fall apart and you are being driven around in a hurricane, and can you imagine how dark and black things must have seemed? It wasn't like these guys had generators. These guys were thought they were in, a, in hell, man, sucked into a dark hole. They thought they were going to, they were fighting for their lives, scared to death. This was terrifying for them. And it's not the time where you sit down and have tea and crumpets, shall we? Just have a snack. I mean, everybody's freaked out. The last thing they were thinking about was eating. Many of them had resigned that they were going to die. 
So he urges them. He says, now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. See, the Lord had let him know that they were going to run aground and they were going to all swim for shore and that nobody would die. He says, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Now they're throwing the food over. This is it. The last final deal. When daylight came, they did not see, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. So cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail into the wind and made for the beach. <laughs> and it's amazing, this is really detailed uh, because he was there, he was experiencing the whole thing. But as they're making a run for the beach, the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Why? Remember, the prisoners get away, you die. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. This way, everyone reached land in safety. Well, once safe, this is on chapter 28. We're almost done. This is the last chapter. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders were showing us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. No kidding. It's been raining and cold for 14 days. Well, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. Now, check this out. Paul, I mean, what a, what a servant. You know, he could have just sitting there and just wait for people to serve on him, but, or wait on him, but he encourages everybody, holds everybody together, gets them all to eat, just as he prophesied. They, they ran aground. They all made it to shore safely. He gets up. He starts gathering wood uh, to throw on the fire to keep everybody warm. But check this out. Check this out. Paul's gathering a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, a snake, a very poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And that doesn't mean it wrapped itself around his hand. It means it bit into him. That's how he fastened itself. Uh, that's how it fastened itself on his hand. Well, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, Man, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, check this out. It's just a great analogy for, for us as, as we read this. Here is a guy who is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ. Okay? He's doing what he believes the Holy Spirit has put on his heart. Even though everywhere else the Spirit prophesied, warned him he was going to get hurt and get arrested and go to jail, all that kind of stuff. He's obedient. He goes uh, to Jerusalem. He's not doing anything. He's minding his own business. 
they grab him. There's a riot. Everything goes wrong. They're trying to kill him. He gets sent from one guy to the other. He's been sitting in jail for years now. They're dinking around trying to figure out what to do with him. He finally has to appeal to Caesar. Now they're sending him off to Caesar. Uh, he's on this miserable trip. Man, I, I have gone cruising before. Trust me, this is not cruising. This is a miserable little boat that they're on. 276 of them, not the most comfortable situation. And I'll tell you what, any of you who've ever gone cruising, you've been in a, we've just been on kind of like rough seas, nothing major. And, and these boats, these big boats have all these counterbalancing things to keep things steady. Even there, man, the boat's going like this and all over the place and people are sick and they're hurling. It's unbelievable. I can't imagine what it would have been like in a little boat that had nothing to keep it balanced at all. Talk about getting knocked around. Man, I've been on these cruises where it gets rough and everybody's going and very hard. You know, the only guys who can walk straight are the guys who are already drunk. You know, it just happens to work for them. But everybody's going to throw it all over the place because the thing's just going nuts. Everything's going wrong. It's a hurricane. They're miserable. They're cold. They haven't eaten for two weeks. Finally, the thing busts apart. They're all swimming for their lives. They come ashore. And now he's trying to do the right thing. And he's throwing firewood. And this poisonous snake runs out and bites him. Pumps its venom into his system. Seriously. Wouldn't you be a little bummed by this point? I mean, a lot of us, we freak out if, you know, our favorite TV show gets canceled. (laughs) Man alive, people who try and tell you that if you really believe in Jesus and really trust Jesus, everything in your life will just be great and wonderful and you'll never have problems, they are delusional. Just because you're a person of faith doesn't mean it's not going to rain. It rains on everybody. Just because you're a person of faith doesn't mean you're not going to hit some hurricanes sometimes. Just because you're a person of faith doesn't mean that the boat you're on isn't going to fall to pieces. It doesn't mean God has abandoned you or forsaken you in any way. It just means you're having a lousy day. It just means things are being rough. It just means sometimes the doctor comes and tells you, hey, you know what? It looks bad. You got cancer. Your lawyer says, you know, it looks horrible. You might lose everything in, this, in this, uh, fina- uh, the, the, this legal action against you. The banker might tell you, well, it looks like you're going to go broke. I mean, I don't know what people, what the world will throw against you. Just because you're a person of faith doesn't mean you won't have trouble. What it means is you have a God who loves you and who you can trust in the midst of the trouble. Because I promise you, without Jesus, all of these guys would have been dead. Okay? They all made it. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of God in their lives. They didn't just judge whether or not, you know, if there was really a God, we wouldn't be having this storm right now. They weren't thinking like that. They were just trusting God to bring them through the storm. Man, when you're going through the storm, don't think God has abandoned you and left you and stuff. You know, how arrogant are we sometimes to think that we should be above any difficulties, that we should be above any... uh, discomfort you know sometimes lousy things happen to really good people and sometimes it's not your fault at all sometimes other people send you to hell (laughs) people around you acting badly in horrible circumstances it doesn't mean god has forsaken you what does it mean it means you're suffering it means you're in a hurricane it means things are painful and you might go hungry for a little while And get awfully cold and wet. But God hasn't abandoned you. If you'll keep your faith. Trust in him. You'll hear the message that Paul heard. 
Hang in there, be obedient, and you will survive. Wow. So here Paul survives all this, and then a snake bites him on top of it. Man, talk about a bad day. It says even the natives said, man, this guy has got to be a sinner. I mean, I don't know if they knew what a sinner was. All they know is, for crying out loud, the sea's been beating the snot out of all this, and now he comes to the land, and somebody wants him dead. Well, obviously the devil wanted him dead. But look at Paul. Here, the snake jumps out and bites him, and in verse 5, it says, Paul fell on the ground and started crying and saying, Why does everything bad happen to me? No. That's not what it says. It says, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Here is a poisonous snake. And these guys knew the poisonous snakes from the non-poisonous snake. When you're on an island and the natives are telling you the snake that just bit you is poisonous, you're pretty much going to die. All right, they know there's snakes, but he just ah, shakes it off and nothing happens to him. Wow. Sometimes you just got to shake it off, man. Just uh, things not going to shake off those snakes and those things biting at you and just people bugging you and nest and just say, man, I'm serving God. And yes, I'm cold. Yes, I'm hungry. I just swam here to this stupid beach and the stupid snake bit me. You just got to shake it off and stand firm and trust God in the midst of your troubles. Don't lose heart. Paul says, don't lose heart. He encouraged them. Why? Because if you lose heart, you're doomed. The most important thing in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of everything, hitting a fan all around you. Don't lose heart. Keep your faith. Trust God. He can turn the situation around. And while the devil meant to kill Paul, and that snake tried to kill Paul, nothing happened to him. And check it out. Verse 6 says, The people expected him to swell, swell up. Or suddenly fall dead. They're just waiting. Oh, God, he's going to swell up any minute. They're probably taking bets. I don't know. Give me 20 bucks. He's going to drop over in about three minutes. They're all just waiting for him to keel over. But nothing happens to him. He says, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual to happen to him, they changed their minds from that he was a sinner and said he was a god. He had to be a god. No one ever survives being bit like that. No one ever survives this situation. No one's ever survived what you're going through right now. Everyone always ends up dead and shipwrecked and destroyed because of the circumstances in your life. I'll tell you what, that may be true. Everyone who gets in this exact circumstance is dead. I get it. They fail. I get it. But it shall not happen to me. Why? Because my hope and my trust is in God. And the greatest glory to God came out of the fact that he had a miserable experience and that he didn't drop over dead. Wow. So all of a sudden they, they think he's, you know, he's a God. They're pretty freaked out by it. He says, well, then there was an, a, a, an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. So finally, <laughs> finally things are looking up for these guys. Well, Publius's dad is sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So Paul's 
you know, healing people. When everybody thinks he needed to be healed, you know, he's healing and ministering to others. He says, they honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Uh, when they were ready to sail, I presume another ship, doesn't say, I presume another ship came to get them, because the other one got trashed. Anyway, after three months, we put out to sea, oh, duh, sorry, it says it right here. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was, in, it was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Rhegium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached... <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce all these words. Putiali, anyway, I don't know. Uh, there we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Finally, finally, they get to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Essentially, you know, the ankle kind of treatment. Um, three days later he called together the leaders of the Jews when they had assembled Paul said to him my brothers although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans they examined me and wanted to release me but because, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death but when the Jews objected I was compelled to appeal to Caesar not that I had any charge to bring against my own people and he's trying to say you know, I'm not trying here to cause trouble for you For this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of the brothers who have come there has reported or said anything bad about you. Which is pretty amazing. You know, I don't know what they thought. Maybe they heard he was in this hurricane and they all figured, good, he's finally dead. So they didn't even bother to send anybody to cause trouble for Paul. So Paul shows up there. He's got like on a fresh, clean slate. So now we haven't heard anything bad about you. So, uh, But uh, we wanted to hear what your views are, for we know that uh, people everywhere are talking against this sect, talking about Christianity. They arranged to meet Paul on, cer- on a certain day, but came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit, he said, spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes from Isaiah. Go to this people and say, you will ever be hearing but never understanding You will ever be seeing but never perceiving. For these people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, Paul says, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Bottom line, he says, what God spoke of the Jews, that they won't listen, is true. I am going to go to the Gentiles and know that they will listen. And for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it just ends. And that's how the book of Acts ends. 
how long after that uh, did he stay in that situation? Um, was he ever released and then came back later? You know, there's all kinds of people a lot smarter than me who debate all those kinds of things. All we do know is that tradition tells us that eventually he uh, did die a martyr's death uh, in Rome. And, uh, and he did get finally to Rome to preach the gospel. We do know that Rome was the center of the world at that time. And that these Christians, these people who had everything going against them, conquered the Roman Empire. Not with bullets, not with swords, not with violence, not with intimidation. But with love, self-sacrifice, they so experienced God. God was so real to them. They experienced such incredible miracles. And people who got around them would see how God was moving in their lives. That they would choose to believe in this God. Knowing that for many of them it would cost them everything. Some of them, their very lives. That's how appealing, that's how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ was among these believers. May God help us to so experience God in our lives that people around us, no matter what the cost, will want to be part of this wonderful, wonderful experience that we know as Christians. The forgiveness of our sins, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the answers to prayer, God doing miracles in our lives, not shielding us from all suffering and pain, as I've shared with you already, but that no matter what we experience, Christ is always with us. Jesus says, in the world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is the message we need to live. Anyway, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week as we start a new book, Looking into the Word of God. And I hope that this has been a blessing to you and, and you've been able to grow and learn from it. We will see you all on Sunday. God bless.